You're listening to Feral Attraction, hosted by Metrico and Vero the Science Collie. On this week's show, we open with a discussion on cell phone etiquette and relationships. How can we avoid a poly relationship with our mobile devices? For the main portion of the show, it's our seventh all-question show. We address questions on fictophilia, relationship goals, using open relationships as a bargaining chip, and more. We close out the show with some feedback on our Pickup Artist episode. Hello again and welcome to Feral Attraction. I'm Metrico. And I'm Fear of the Science Collie. So... I wanted to thank everybody for your patience. It's, I know that last week we uh, missed recording a show. That's um, partly due to my being sick. Uh, I was dying of the plague last week and could barely speak. So my apologies for that. Uh, as we've discussed, Vero is traveling abroad. And unfortunately, the place that advertised super duper reliable internet uh, lied so um, there, there is no way for us to have a stable connection, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, and we're not actually all that stable this week either. But we're going to try our best. So we apologize if our audio quality or the kind of the continuity of the show is a bit degraded this week as well. We're doing our best to get a show out for you. <laughs> yeah, it's um, this is, I believe, take three of us trying to record, and we're yeah we're... on three different networks. We're doing our best, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're trying our best, even though we're recording from you know across an ocean. Um, so we wanted to kind of open the show, Vero. You found an interesting article written in the New York Times from a few months ago about uh, cell phones and relationships, and. This was something that when I read, it was, you know, it's something that's kind of near and dear to my heart because whenever I have conversations with people, I can sometimes be a little bit put off by the fact that uh, in the middle of them talking to me or in the middle of a sentence, they'll pick up their phone, they'll start texting or checking notifications. And it sort of pulls me out of the, the scene, if you will, of having a conversation with them. And in relationships, this, this can happen rather frequently, to be quite honest, where you'll be spending some quality time with your with your mate, with their mates maybe, with a date, with whomever, and it ends up being a situation where there's just, you have to divide your time between talking to them and maybe you need to wait for them to finish texting, and it can be a little bit awkward, so... Uh, there was an article written by Leslie Alderman, again, in the New York Times, titled The Phones We Love Too Much, that sort of addresses this as well as uh, looks at some research that's been done in the field uh, by experts that focus in interpersonal communication. Um, the, the, the author, uh, Leslie, uh, starts off by saying that, um, on average, uh, we check our phones between 47 times to 82 times a day. Um, the younger you are, the more you check your phone. And when we talk about relationships, uh, there was a 2016 study that was done in uh, the journal Psychology of Popular Media Culture uh, that, that focused on women especially. Um 70% of women revealed that smartphones were negatively affecting their primary relationship. 
and more than one-third of the 143 women in this study said that their partner would respond to notifications mid-conversation. Um, one out of four said that they, their partner would text during conversations they were having. And the women reported these high levels uh, in scientific terms. They refer to it as a technoference or you know, interference that's technological. Or if you want to be a little bit cute, they refer to it as fobbing, which is phone snubbing. Um, I'm not and sure if overall, I'm on board with that individuals one. that okay. are in their relationships, uh, the women that were in the study that had higher levels of technoference or technoference uh, were less happy with their relationships and also their lives overall. And uh, there have been studies with men as well, and the, the, the numbers are the same across the board. This is men and women both suffer from in relationships and the relationships suffer where people don't necessarily pay attention to conversations or spend quality time together without the addition of a new partner in this case your smartphone yeah i think honestly that's a huge issue in relationships and this idea of presence is really key because i often talk about uh, the opposite being the case that it's really important that you develop the ability to be alone together with your partner and that might involve things like being on your phone together and kind of check, you know, checking your feeds while you're just near each other and kind of enjoying the presence of being with your partner while you are, in fact, alone. But the thing is, you can't do that all the time because that means you're never actually connecting. There's no, there's no real connection happening if you aren't being present and actively listening to each other. And when you're really that present and, and engaging with active listening skills, that's where empathy comes in, and empathy is really what drives healthy relationships. So I think from the perspective that you know, having your phone out can be a block towards empathizing with your partner, it really can be deleterious, even though I often advocate developing the skill of being alone together. So it's kind of an issue of striking a balance, I think. Sometimes it's appropriate to be alone together, but sometimes you just want to be together together, and you need to make sure that you're that you're getting achieving both of those if you're in a you know a long term relationship where you're constantly in your partner's presence. Because it's really hard to you know strike that balance, especially you know when communication about smartphone use isn't really happening, and maybe you both have some different expectations or different levels of comfort with how much smartphone use is going on in each other's presence. And so reading an article like this and kind of thinking about this issue can kind of be a conversation starter that can hopefully be productive for making your relationship a bit more fulfilling. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think there's definitely a difference between, say, going out to dinner together, where that's kind of implied to be being together as opposed to being alone together, which would be something more akin to, hey, it's, you know, nighttime, we're just relaxing, we've had dinner, we've come home. She wants to, you know, read a magazine or maybe watch some television or maybe play Candy Crush. And I just kind of want to, you know, check some emails. I want to, you know, read the paper, see what I've missed today. It's in scenarios where there's either an implication or there's an outright statement of we are spending this time together. That's really where you should be putting the phone down. Personally, I, I like making everything really explicit. And I think pers my personal solution to this problem, maybe it's a bit simplistic and minded, but I think actually when your partner says, well, let's hang out or let's get dinner or, you know, what, what are we doing tonight? Having a conversation of, hey, are we spending alone together time or are we spending together together time? Is this a date or are we just getting food? You know, I think clarifying expectations 
and then being mindful and intentional about how you're spending your time going into it, considering, you know, this is time that I'm supposed to be devoted to actively listening to my partner, or this is time that I have to myself and my partner just happens to be present. Both being on the same page and both having the same expectation is going to prevent a lot of hurt feelings and prevent the phone from feeling like an you know intrusive third party who's kind of cucking you out of time with your partner, right? As this <laughs> article kind of almost presents it. Right. You know, it's, it's, I, I love the idea of the phone being like an uninvited, you know, cuck, an uninvited bull, A bull perhaps. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the article, uh, it's, it's Leslie speaks with James Roberts, who is the author of too much of a good thing. Are you addicted to your smartphone? And he says that, and, and, this is something that we kind of know and something that we've discussed on the show that a key to a healthy relationship is being present. You have to be there, you know, counted for present and voting, whatever you might want to, to qualify it as. And if you're just kind of there, not present in mind, but just present in body for situations, for places, for, for, adventures for dates if you're just completely mentally checked out that's going to damage the relationship overall uh when one partner constantly checks their phone it it sends an implicit message that they find the phone more interesting than you whatever it might be whether it's the content on the phone whether it's the message whether it's other people oh hey i got a text let me answer that I know I'm in the middle of telling you something, but hold on a second. That can be a little bit debilitating to a relationship's health overall, because the implication, even if it's not true, is still there. And over time, it can build up resentment. Uh, I know in my relationships, whether they're uh, you know, friendships, whether it's somebody that I'm dating, it's if the... If my partner, if my friends keep checking their phone whenever I'm trying to have a conversation with them, it's kind of the equivalent of somebody putting on headphones. It tells me that they don't really want to talk to me right now. And if that happens in a scenario where we've explicitly said, hey, we're spending time together, then there's a problem. And it makes me feel less invested in the relationship as a whole. So... Really, what can you do about all of this? Because this is a problem that, especially within the fandom we face, because we're so technologically connected, we we exist primarily on the internet with the exception of cons and meetups and all that good stuff. So what can we do? Uh, I presented one solution, which is the idea yeah. of having that explicit conversation of saying, hey, what kind of time are we spending together? Is this alone together time or is this together present time, Right. And having those conversations can be super helpful. But there's a few other things you can do as well. One thing that you can do, if it's something that continues to happen, even if you've had these conversations of it being explicit, have have a conversation about it. Communicate. That's, that's really the crux of everything, every good relationship goal, to have a conversation about it. It's, it's emphasize the benefits of being more connected to your partner, to your mate, to your partners, if you're in a poly relationship. Rather than dictate to your partner what they should or should not do, maybe try an approach like, I love talking to you, but when you're constantly checking your phone, it's hard to have a great conversation. There's I statements involved there. That's basically not the nonviolent communication approach to this problem. This 
basically present the problem as an I statement. I feel sad when I'm unable to connect with you because our phones are out and then present solutions and talk about the why you value that together time presenting it as a, as a kind of non-confrontational way where you're not really accusing your partner of anything, but instead you're trying to present the case for, you know, what's valuable about this together time. I think that's really the way to spin it such that your partner isn't turned off by you basically accusing them of something. Right. Yeah. Because that's the last thing you want to do because if one end is building resentment in the fact that your partner is always on their phone, whenever you want to have a conversation with them, you're building up resentment. And if you sort of guilt them with violent communication, then resentment's going to build up on their part. And over time, the relationship is going to rapidly deteriorate. So you want to use I statements and focus on nonviolent communication as much as possible. Listen to our episode on nonviolent communication if you want good practices and examples of how to go about doing that. Um, another now, on the thing- other side, it, yeah. If you happen, if you're on, if you're, if you're the person who's actually using their phone too much, one thing you can do also is to, as the article describes, practice some phone etiquette. So this is kind of going back to our, you know, ideas on stoicism and mindfulness and being more intentional with your phone use, especially when your partner's around. So in this case, if you're going to be checking your phone, think about why you're doing that, what purpose it's serving you, serving for you, and whether it's actually moving you closer to your goals. And if you decide, yes, checking my phone is a good thing for me to be doing right now because you have a valid reason to be doing so, it's a good idea to announce to your partner what that reason is so your partner can be kind of in on it and understand, okay, he's checking his phone because he's expecting a message from his other partner who's traveling, wants to know they're safe, or he's checking his phone because he posted a really hot video earlier and he really wants to get the validation of knowing who exactly liked and retweeted him. And, you know, it might sound silly, but even saying, hey, I'm just going to check my phone real quick because I want to see how many likes my video got. Your partner's probably going to appreciate the, up, the heads up and the update on that rather than just doing it silently in the background, making them feel like they're basically invisible to you. So I really think that intent, be, being intentional and then being honest with yourself about what you're doing is the first step. And the second step is then communicating that intention to your partner so they're in on it with you and understand what, what you're valuing about why you're on your phone and can then really say, you know what, that makes sense. I understand why my partner wants to do that. I can empathize with that need. Letting your partner empathize with you is always a good thing. So, And the way you inspire empathy is always by communicating your needs and wants. And that, again, all this boils down to like all the core themes of our show, right? Mindfulness, yeah. intentionality, being kind of stoic in your approach to things, and then being nonviolent in your approach to communicating those things to others. And if you can follow all those... The same approach we recommend in many other conflicts is going to work just as well here. But it's kind of we put a little bit of a, more of a phone-specific spin on it so that we'd be very explicit in how this would work. Because I think it actually is a huge problem for a lot of furry relationships. And we, we hear, and hear about it all the time. Yeah. It really is kind of a recurring theme uh, where people feel snubbed or fubbed, as the uh, article deems it where you want to spend time, you want to have that deep personal connection, but the phone gets in the way of that vulnerability. And so it can be incredibly difficult in order to to have that happen. You know, one of the things, you know, kind of pairing it off of the idea that we were putting this this mobile spin on it, it's it's so important to me that we we talk about our our phone etiquette, the etiquette that we have you know, in interpersonal communications when mobile devices enter into the fray because 
we, we want our relationships to be healthy. We want our relationships to be happy. And we want our relationships to sort of be a reflection of, you know, what we want out of life. And if we're so focused on external sort of inputs, uh, what's happening on Twitter, what's happening on Reddit, what's happening on FA, it, it could be so just, it could be so destructive. And a lot of the questions that we get concerning, like, my relationship is having issues, some of them boil down to the fact that there's no quality time being spent together. Now, with things like work, I can understand. Some people are on 24-hour call, people that work in the health industry, people that are IT professionals. There are certain cases where you do have to be sort of available at the drop of a hat. But if you're just kind of focused on checking, if you have a near addiction, I'll say, to checking what's happening on Twitter that it's impacting your relationship, especially during these these preordained quality time together, it cuts into, as Vera was saying, the ability for us to empathize with each other within a relationship context. So I would just kind of urge that for people who sort of are having problems, that, that you be conscious of the amount of time that you spend on your phone when you're trying to have quality time with your mates. Because at the end of the day, it's the quality time that really kind of builds the integrity of the relationship, that builds the ability to communicate honestly and openly, and builds the idea that you can be vulnerable with one another. Uh, I've been in relationships where I've been trying to talk about problems that I'm having, and halfway through, somebody will kind of check their phone. And it's it's incredibly, it, it, it almost delegitimizes the the feelings that I'm having and the pain that I'm going through as being less important than what's happening. Oh, I got a favorite on Twitter. Let me check that real quick. Yeah, we can put that in the language of shame too, right? We, we yeah. have our episodes on shame. And essentially, that's an invalidating action, right? It's invalidating you. It's invalidating what you're talking about because your partner is essentially saying, this is more important than you. So that level of, that invalidation can really trigger internalized shame. It can trigger feelings of unworthiness. And all that negativity comes can really just trash how someone feels about their partner. And it, which oftentimes it's completely unintended. But if you're not being mindful about how you're affecting your partner, you can you can really do some psychological damage without meaning to at all. Absolutely. You know, psychological damage within a relationship, it can almost be like oh it's almost an incurable wound for a lot of people so it's something that you definitely have to be mindful of it's something that you definitely should do your best to avoid and when it's something that is as easy to manage as a you know mobile device uh, i feel like that's something that you know we can sort of work on be more conscious of and instead of allowing a mobile phone to kind of come in between us, social media coming in between us, we can use it to help build empathy and continue building the connections that we have, not only with people in our lives that are digital, but also with people that we are in romantic entanglements with. I think we're going to move on from there, though, because even though this is a fascinating topic and something that I would love to talk about at more length, we do want to get to the questions, uh, as we mentioned, this is our seventh all-question show. 
And we, we have a wide range of questions that have been submitted to us. Um, and, and these are ones that, you know, some of them might seem perhaps a little bit strange to some people, things that they don't experience in their own personal relationships. But the important thing about, you know, question shows is that not every relationship is going to be the same and not every struggle, not every problem that a relationship has is going to be the same. And that's true across many relationships that you'll have in your life. So that's what I really love about these question shows. Just because something isn't relevant to you right now, it could become relevant to you at a later time. And you know, that's something that, you know, I find to be really, you know, kind of important to me as a person. But uh, we're going to go ahead and get right into it. Uh, the first question, uh, the questioner asked, uh, sent in an email with the subject, Fictophilia on the Outside. I have been in love with another furry for two months now. However, there is a problem. She is deeply in love with a fictional character, leaving no room in her heart for me. I have told her how I feel about her, but she is incapable of developing feelings for me because of her fictophilia. It is very painful to watch to see her deny herself of a true relationship because of a, of a fictional one, not to mention very frustrating. Is there any hope for me? What can I possibly do? I know if she did not have this affliction, we could be happy together. Okay. So I know that I often talk about on the podcast the importance of assuming good faith in someone, but I feel like maybe you've taken a bridge too far on your assumption of good faith in this situation, because this is ringing a lot of alarm bells for me in the sense that I feel like if this person is telling you that they would rather pursue a fictional character over you, or that they are so hopelessly involved with a fictional character that they can't pursue a romantic relationship with you, that falls under the category of they're just not that into you and you should probably be moving on from that person because anyone who's giving you that excuse clearly is not so invested in you that they would pursue you above all else. In fact, they're making you a lower priority than a fictional character. So I don't really care what the rationale is there. I don't care if removing the fictional character means they would date you. I'm not so interested in being the runner-up to a fictional character in my romantic connections to other people. And if that's something that you would settle for, I worry that maybe you have some self-esteem issues that you might want to explore. Because I would not personally feel at all comfortable settling for a relationship in which I was the second best option to a fictional character. Do you have different feelings on that question, Metrico? Or does that kind of sound like what you would interpret it as well? I have slightly different opinions. It's, it's, I do agree that it might be a little bit difficult perhaps to be a, in a relationship that kind of follows that, uh, scheme, we'll say. But I was a little bit alarmed actually, actually by the language used, uh, by the questioner. And I kind of want to address that. So, um, a few things. So fictophilia is not, like, it's not something that is recognized. Um, I mean, it's a paraphilia. It's we can acknowledge it as being a paraphilia, and it can be legit paraphilia, sure. But it's not something that is like an official thing, right? That's correct. It's not something that you can go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and they'll open up a, a book and they'll say, ah, here it is, and here's the treatment for it. Um, it is a philia. 
It is something that people can definitely feel. And I think that for a lot of people... Basically a sense of limerence, right? It's a a form of limerence is how I would describe it. And we talk about limerence, remember, as being the type of new relationship energy where you actually aren't in a requited situation. So it's a new relationship energy that is one-sided. And that's essentially what this is. It's, It's really a special form of limerence where there's really no way for the character to requite the feelings because obviously they're a fictional character and they can't have feelings, right? And there, there's another side to it beyond limerence. It's also impossible for the fictional character to hurt you. It's impossible for the fictional character to inflict psychological trauma on you, to cheat with you, to cheat on you, because they can't. They, If it's a fictional character, say, Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice or Sherlock Holmes from, well, Sherlock Holmes... It's impossible for there to be any kind of like a an affair that happens. They can't hurt you. And you can imagine these amazing scenarios where you are being wooed by Mr. Darcy. You are a partner in crime with Sherlock Holmes. It could be a character of your own design. Ultimately, though, it is a fantasy. And it's important to kind of address that. When you fall in love with with fantasy characters, with fictional characters, it's kind of the same as falling in love with somebody's persona. If there is such a difference between an individual and, say, the character that they have on the internet, that can cause a lot of just complications if you wanted to pursue a relationship with the person behind the character. Um, it, it can cause a lot of problems for you to build a, an emotional connection because it's not reciprocated. It can become this kind of fantasy obsession and you can lose touch with the real world. So fictionophilia as, as a philia, it can be a little bit damaging, but it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not something that's terrible. I know that growing up, I had crushes on characters that I saw in cartoons or read in books and, I would have these wild daydreams and write fan fiction where I would insert myself into Harry Potter, the universe, and then maybe insert myself into Harry Potter. <laughs> oh my actually. god, Panda. Oh, don't. Oh. <laughs> but, but <sighs> the question raised a few alarm, uh, ring a few alarm bells for me because well, see, the questioner. Getting ta- back to that, speaking of alarm bells, Metric, I just want to stop you right there because I think your description of fictophilia is very apt, but. I would feel like that is more appropriate if we had the person with the fictophilia writing and asking us how to solve their problem. My One of the most alarming things about this question, I think, is a boundary issue that the questioner is creating. Yes. Because it seems, yes. Like, it seems like they are taking on this being as almost being their problem when this is a problem that belongs to someone you are not in a romantic relationship with, merely someone that you have a desire to be in a relationship with. You are not on a crusade to solve this person's mental issues. And if you are, for selfish reasons, because you want to be with them, that is actually pretty twisted and not really such a great thing. That's kind of a stalkerish sort of behavior. So, questioner, I, I would caution you to, have to kind of think about your boundaries here and, and wonder what your motivations really are for resolving this person's fictophilia. Because if the motivation is not so much to help them, but instead to create a situation where they would be fallen for you... And you say this as if it's a foregone conclusion that they would be in love with you if this if this weren't the case. I don't really feel like we have any evidence that that's the case other than your wishful thinking. So that being said, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous there because I feel like you're, this, there's a boundary that's being crossed. And you're making this your problem when it is not your problem. 
So that that's also very concerning to me. Yeah. My thought here is much like the the girl that the questioner is in love with, uh, the girl in question that he is in love with is in love with a fictional character. It's almost as if he too is in love with a fictional character. In this case, a girl that loves him back in this particular scenario. It's you can't you can't make somebody not feel the way that they feel. I mean, based off of your question, my advice is find another person because this person is not into you. What you should also do is question your motivations. It's I don't necessarily think that fictophilia is a mental disorder, partly because there's no kind of backing to it in, in a psychological sense. What I do think is that some people can take it a little bit too far um, from having a crush on, you know, I don't know, Tigra from the Thundercats, and they take it to a point where it could be debilitating in their personal life. If the girl in question, this girl that you're in love with, is able to have a perfectly normal life, short of maybe not being able to, you know, form you know, relationships, uh, romantic relationships with people in meat space, there could be something she's not telling you. Maybe she's asexual and is really into this character because it, it, it kind of lends into her asexuality. It could be maybe she's gray sexual. It could, there could be so many things happening, but really what, what the, what everything boils down to is a, you're kind of inserting yourself into her life in a way that she does not want you to insert yourself. And B, you can't control who or what she is attracted to. If you have told her what you said you did, you have told her how you feel about her. And if she has replied back and said, I'm not really interested, it sucks, it hurts, but you are bearing a torch for somebody that is not going to reciprocate. And, and there's also a chance the person is making up. I just want to think of a third option here. Yeah. There's a very good chance this person is literally manufacturing and making up a fictophilia in order to avoid rejecting you, which is another option. There's a good chance you're being lied to and this person is literally manufacturing some an excuse to not date you because they need and literally any excuse to not date you because they can't ha- they can't bear the idea of rejecting you. Not I know that's not very good news and might and I, I might be saying that a bit bluntly, but I feel like the odds of that are actually reasonably high that this person is kind of coming up with an elaborate reason why they can't date you so that you go away because they feel it's less painful to do that than it would be to give you a direct rejection. Right. I mean, there there are many options as to what is happening, but if we take away the trappings, if we take away the the dressing up of, oh, it's fictophilia, and if we take all of that away, you're interested in a girl that is not interested in you. You have told you that. And that you've told that's her, the bottom yeah. line, right? Yeah. That is the bottom told, line. You've told her that you love her. She does not reciprocate. If you take everything else away, you need to move on. If you add anything else to that, you need to move on. That's really quite it. And it's I would definitely analyze the boundaries that you have with other people. It's, again, not everybody is going to be into you. And that's fine. That's perfect. That's completely healthy for people. It's I, I sort of feel... It's this question kind of put me a little bit off uh, kilter because I felt almost as if you're trying to to solve a problem in order her, this problem that she's telling you in order to solve your problem, which is that she doesn't love you back and it doesn't work like that. So 
I would recommend. Yeah, a weird entitlement issue there that I think you need to kind of yeah. explore and unpack for yourself, and maybe question why you feel yeah. entitled to a relationship with this person. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so find find somebody that does reciprocate your feelings. It can hurt because you're so invested in this unreciprocated love that you have for for this girl, but. At the end of the day, it's unreciprocated, and if you bear a torch for too long, you're going to start feeling resentment towards her. So it's best to cut your losses now, and you might be able to have a good friendship with her. And who knows, maybe down the line, she might be interested in you. But you can't force that. You can't, you're not entitled to this relationship with her. You're not entitled to having your feelings reciprocated by, frankly, anybody. So just... Take note as to what you're looking for and what you're not looking for. And take note as to the emotional boundaries that you have. And if being with somebody who maybe has interests in fictional characters like this is kind of a deal breaker for you, you can sort of spot it out in more advance. That way you don't get so far down the line that you feel that you've invested so much that you deserve kind of dividends from the investment um this is an icky position to be in you don't want to be in a position where you feel like there's emotional blackmail at stake or like i did this for you and therefore you owe me this you know i I resolved this problem for you and now you owe me a relationship i just feel like you're setting yourself up for a lot of really icky not so good type of interactions with this person even if you somehow magically did resolve the fictophilia and we were no longer in love with this character it seems like you're then feeling entitled to a relationship or feeling like, okay, this person by default will now be mine. And there's a, ah, none of that sounds good. It's it's very, it's very icky. So I just, I don't think you're approaching this the right way. And hopefully you can approach another person in a way that's a bit healthier and a bit more reciprocal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we're going to move on to our next question though. Um, It's, I'm sorry if I sounded a little bit harsh in, in my response there, but it's, yeah, I'm not saying this, you're icky. Like when I say this is an, yeah. an icky situation, that's not a comment on you as a person or your personality. I don't want you to take that at all personally. We're just being very direct and saying that the situation you're setting up for yourself could produce some icky results. That's what we're getting at, right? Exactly. So I think that, you know, for your own mental health as well as her mental health, and just for good ethical reasons, maybe it's best if you pursue somebody else. You know, it's it's I think that that's what we're saying at the end of the day. Um, yeah, bottom line, just cut your losses and move on. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate, but that's kind of the you know, sad side of looking for relationships and falling in love. Sometimes it doesn't work out the way that you would want to. And if you keep carrying a torch for much longer for this person, you're basically falling in love with a fictional character yourself. So... Uh, We're going to move on to the second question, though. Uh, The questioner emailed uh, with the subject, How to Save My Relationship. Uh, They write, As the title explains, I am worried that my relationship will break soon after two years. Uh, Since we don't have time alone anymore, and we're in a bit of an economical crisis at the moment, we can't go anywhere to have alone us time. What should I do to save this relationship? Uh, since my boyfriend is the only fur that I know in real life that also accepts me for who I am, I can't really lose him. Okay. So I think this question really, maybe you're setting yourself up with some unfair expectations for yourself and what alone time needs to be. Uh, because as we were kind of were talking about at the top of the show, alone time really fit together, it really comes down to presence and being able to empathize with each other. 
And I understand you might be in a living situation right now where maybe you're with someone's parents or you've got siblings around or other friends or roommates or people who are intolerant to homosexuality or to furry, and therefore you can't be open and out about your furriness or your gayness or whatever it might be around the house. That's unfortunate, and that's certainly difficult to maintain a romantic connection or a sexual connection under those circumstances. But there are plenty of places you can go and ways you can obtain alone time that don't involve cost that I think would be quite valuable to you and your partner. One thing you and your partner can always do to create alone time with each other is to go on a walk together. And this is honestly one of the most valuable types of alone time that I experience with my partners. And you can do it for free any in any park, right? I mean, it doesn't cost anything to go on a walk. And sure, you might not be having sexy fun times while you're going on a walk, but you can certainly have a really in-depth, empathetically connected conversation where you are present for each other, maybe assuming you keep the smartphones put away. But, you know, (laughs) that can be extremely (laughs) valuable. And it doesn't cost anything. Um, If what you're looking for instead is uh, the kind of more sexual kind of alone time, uh, one thing that I think a lot of people don't consider is uh, gay saunas and gay bathhouses have a one-use case that, you know, some people think, oh, it's just to go and hook up with random strangers. But you can actually go to a gay bathhouse or a sauna and hook up with your partner. You don't have to hook up with a stranger. You can just go in a private room there and play and do your thing. And it might be something you can do all the time. But, you know, it's probably about, at most, 20 to $30 to spend a night there. And you can do that maybe, you know, once or twice a month at least guarantees you a couple nights where you're able to get that groove on with your partner in in an environment that is tolerant to homosexuality or to furry or whatever it might be. And then you're not worrying about being under the watchful gaze of your roommates or your parents or whoever is in your household. So uh, if you live in a big enough metro area, there's a very good chance that there is a gay sauna or bathhouse that you could choose to visit. And rather than, like I said, hook up with others, just choose to hook up with each other and enjoy that. Enjoy being in the atmosphere. It's a very sexually charged, fun atmosphere. And you don't really have to play with other people if you don't want to. There are often private rooms available that you can just choose to use, and no one else needs to be the wiser. So definitely a good option if you're looking for that alone time connection and can't get away in any other way. You know, one thing that I do want to say is that relationships aren't always going to be full of amazing, fun, sexy romps. And... Sometimes when the shit hits the fan, it's not about the amount of sex that you have, but it's the the level of communication and empathy that you have for one another. And if you're in a situation where finances are really, really tough and it's nearly impossible to have sex with each other because you don't have the resources. You both live at home. You live with somebody that's homophobic. You don't live in an area that's gay-friendly. All of these are possibilities. Focus on the communication in the relationship. Focus on being there for one another. It's it's. I hate to say that there are certain like hierarchies of need, but in cases like this, there are definitely hierarchies of needs where if you need to have finances in order to live together and live in a place where you can have a healthy sex life, then you should probably focus on getting to that point. That being said, if you can't have physical sex with one another, 
then it's quite possible maybe to send each other sexy pictures. If you can't be in the same location together or you can't, you know, spend the night together, have sexy role plays, you know, find ways that you can enhance your sex life, even if you can't have sex together uh, in, in person, you know, almost treat it like an online relationship. Maybe, you know, again, the pictures, the role plays, maybe send each other stories that you think are hot and you can build a sexual sort of connection through that without the requirements of physical sex. And then down the line, when things are a little bit more secure in terms of finances, maybe you're in a place where you can have that physical connection. You can enjoy that without the stress of being caught, of losing your job, of losing your housing, things of that nature. So I, I, I would focus more on the building the communication, building the empathy, building the trust between one another, because not every relationship is going to be just sexy romps all the time. And it can suck. It really can for a lot of people. But if you find ways to work with what you have, your relationship is going to be that much stronger for it. And even though it may not be super happy fun time right now, you'll find that the overall satisfaction that you have in your relationship remains strong. So that's what I would recommend there. It's, uh, I wouldn't fortune tell and say that your relationship is going to end. You're going to be kind of isolated. What I would say is your relationship is going through a difficult time, but yeah. And it doesn't have to be a difficult time. If you don't choose to view it that way and you invest in connections that are possible rather than ruining the fact that other types of connections might not be right now. Sometimes you have to let go of things that you can't have now so you can grab onto them later. And it sounds like and right also, now... And also so you yeah. can appreciate what you do have. I think yes. appreciating what you do have in your relationship is something that might be lacking right now. And appreciating what you do currently have would help you, you know, again, not focus on what you don't. So I think all of that is is pretty decent advice. If we can move on to question three, just for the sake of time, I think of that course. might be a good idea. I'll, I'll go ahead and read this one if that's okay, Metrico. Yeah, go for it. So this one is on the subject of finding a girlfriend. Hello, Feral Attraction. I have a question for you. I am 22 years old, and I became involved in the fandom roughly a year ago. Unlike so many in the fandom, I'm not seeking a boyfriend. Rather, I am looking for a girlfriend. However, there are certain standards that I have. I would like to find a girl who is intelligent, ambitious, thin, and somewhat cute. Furthermore, I would like to find someone who is interested in pursuing a graduate degree or a doctorate of some sort, similar to myself. I recently acquired my bachelor's degree and I'm applying for medical school in the fall of 2018. My question to you is, are my standards too high? There's already a dearth of females in the fandom, and those that have a degree higher than a bachelor's degree are also in the minority. Would it be a waste of time to look for a fandom girl? Should I just look outside the fandom? If not, and you think it possible to find a girl in the fandom, how do you suggest I search for her? With so few women, I'm certain that plenty get offers left and right. How do I set myself apart? Okay. It's good to have standards. It's definitely good to have standards. I would posit that maybe 
the expectations and these standards that you have might be perhaps a little bit too much of a search limiter. There certainly are people that, there certainly are women who are intelligent, ambitious, thin, somewhat cute, pursuing a graduate degree or a doctorate. I just, I feel as if there's a large focus on this this educational degree versus a focus on emotional and, and physical compatibility. Yeah, I think that's exactly where I come down on it too. And I think there's a difference between having standards and having a rubric for your partner and then have, needing to tick all these boxes. And I think right now you might be a little bit too concerned with ticking boxes and not actually concerned with what the true purpose of a relationship is, which is an empathetic, loving connection with another person where you and that person are both raising each other up. And it sounds to me that you've maybe set yourself up to fail because you've been so specific in what you decided that you need to have in a relationship that there's really no one left to, to fill all those boxes, right? And so it's not so much a matter of maybe letting someone slide on your standards, but rather, think, you're, I think you're thinking about this as being a bit too transactional. I mean, you can talk about, you know, how do I set myself apart because the women are getting offers. It's as, as if they're being offered for sale. And, you know, this is not someone, you're not going to a store to pick out your favorite model. You're looking to connect with a person, so I think you're just not approaching this in a way that really is going to promote human connection and empathy. You're making it a, a far true transactional. And by doing so, I think you're cheapening the relationship that you might eventually find because what you're going to locate is not someone who is genuinely interested in you, but instead you're going to locate someone who is you know, good on paper. And the problem is when you find that person who's good on paper, you're going to talk yourself into dating them or being compatible with them, even if you aren't, because they meet all your criteria and therefore they must be perfect for you. So you really need to be cautious of that and not think about, you know, this person needs to fill all these boxes because my, my fear is not so much that you won't find that person. My fear is that you will. And when you find that person, you're going to get trap yourself in a very unsatisfying relationship because you're going to, t you're going to date that person for who knows how long and keep telling yourself, I should love this person. I should love this person. They're, they meet all my criteria. I should love this person. But you won't. And that's actually my biggest fear for you. Not that you won't find this person, but that you will find this person. That they will be deeply unsatisfying because you, for, you neglected what the core reason to form a relationship is. And that's the empathetic human connection part of it, right? You know, what, what I think about is it's less about... Okay, um, let, me, let me use a different thing than I was going to. When people are looking for a pet dog, there are certain criterias that they might look for. Some people want to have a dog that has a high pedigree, that's purebred, that they can track the lineage, you know, 10, 15 back, uh, generations back. And that's perfectly fine. People are entitled to want what they want out of a pet. But... People are also quite happy going to the shelter and getting, you know, a mixed breed dog, a mutt, you know, a dog that has no pedigree and they are perfectly fine and happy with them as well. You're not looking for a pet. You're not looking for somebody that has a pedigree. You're looking for, you know, a life partner. You're looking for a mate. You're looking for a lover. You're looking for essentially your best friend and your partner in crime. 
And if you're so focused on how they appear on paper, it's quite possible that you're going to pass up a lot of people who would meet several of the criteria, but maybe not one. Like like you said, Vero, it's almost as if uh, this is a rubric. This is you know a required you know in order to date me, the following prerequisites must be met. It doesn't necessarily work like that, and it shouldn't because it doesn't promote really kind of any positive, healthy relationship. Uh, like you were saying, the chances are there that you meet somebody that meets all of these, every check, every box is checked, but you don't like each other. But because both of you have the qualities that you're looking for, save an emotional connection, you give it a try and you remain miserable in a relationship together. And I've seen but this. But you keep trying to tell yourself it's not miserable because wow, this is my this is the perfect person for me. It's just that's you're setting yourself up for such an unsatisfying relationship by doing this, and I just don't want to see right. that happen to you. Absolutely not. So maybe I, I don't think that your standards are too high. I think that your expectations are are setting yourself up for failure. It's not bad to want all of these qualities in a person, but. You should be focused more on the character and the quality of people that you are interested in dating, and maybe not necessarily the paperwork that they bring to the relationship. Uh, in my life, I've dated people that have, you know, a, a GED, have have doctorates. I, I've dated all across the the education spectrum, and I can tell you that I found good compatibility in all of those because when i enter into dating somebody their their education is not necessarily a factor for me it's all about the connection that you have with the person and while yes you might feel that oh i might be too highly educated it might be difficult for us to have conversations i guarantee you it's not and i i i, pr- I promise you that if you are dating somebody that you can have conversations with their level of education is the the last factor you're going to have in mind. You're not going to be super duper stressed out about the the level of degree that they have. It's not going to be something that factors in for you. So so what I would recommend is you know look for people that that you 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 synchronize well with that that you connect well with. And that's really the largest qualifier that I have in mind. And from there, you know, if, if, if you have certain kind of limiters, if you want to date somebody that, that takes care of their health, that goes to the gym, that, that's perfectly fine because there are certainly a wide dearth of individuals like that. If you want to date somebody that has similar interests, whether it's in education, whether it's in sci-fi, whatever it might be, then go for that. But if there are a list of musts, this rubric, then you're kind of going about it the wrong way. Because the first thing on any checklist that that should be met is, are we able to have an emotional connection together? Are we able to have conversation together? Is this somebody that I feel I can be vulnerable around? And if you can't meet that requirement, then it's not necessarily somebody you should be interested in dating. It has nothing to do with the limited availability of of men or women within the fandom. It has nothing to do with 
the limited availability even beyond that of women in the fandom who are seeking a graduate or degree or doctorate. I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, I feel like you're kind of setting yourself up for failure here is what it boils down to. And I don't want to see you fail. I don't want you to feel that you're not good enough for people or you can't find people that are good enough or the fandom is, has nothing for you. I want you to feel fulfilled. And part of that is not setting yourself up to have such lofty requirements. Uh, there was a show on MTV many years back called Next. And the the crux of the show was there would be an individual that would have five blind dates lined up and they would go and do different activities. And if at any point during the, the activity, um, the person felt that their blind date was not satisfactory, they would just scream out next and the person would be kicked out of the date. I feel that's kind of what you're doing here. It's slightly emotionally abusive, at least in that context. I don't think you're being emotionally abusive for the record questioner, but I feel that if you were to go on a date with somebody and they were to kind of say, oh, well, you know, I have a bachelor's and if they're not interested in pursuing a higher degree, if that's an immediately a deal breaker, you know, it, it kind of feels as if it can go, it could go to a level of just like emotional abuse, like, oh, you're not good enough for me. Well, and beyond I, that issue too, I think I think yeah. there's another issue here. Of, I, I won't even say it's a matter of paring down your standards, it's a matter of adding one more that it's the most essential standard of all, which is emotional compatibility, the ability to empathize with each other and to connect with each other on the emotional level. And maybe maybe we're just being a little bit hard on you, questioner, and maybe you just take that as such a basic criteria that you assume that that's going to be present in, if you're pursuing someone in a relationship. But if you haven't thought about it and you haven't really thought about what is a relationship actually going to do for me, maybe you need to rethink what is this relationship going to do for me and what am I actually seeking to get out of this relationship? What is the type of enrichment that I'm seeking from a partner? It sounds like right now what you're seeking is intellectual enrichment in part because you're looking for someone with similar educational background. But intellectual enrichment isn't the only thing that someone brings to the table if they're in a relationship with you. There's also the sexual component. There's the romantic component. There's the emotional component. And I think you really want to consider whether someone could potentially compensate in those areas if they are deficient in the you know intellectual component, or at least not the intellectual component, the educational attainment component. Because there's plenty of really smart people who are autodidacts, who you know, love learning, but don't necessarily love school-based learning and might still be very educated, well-read and worldly, might still have great conversation with you, but don't have those degrees. And is, it, is the paper what's important to you? Or is it the ability to have intellectual conversation what's important to you? And I think you might need to resolve which of those it is before you can proceed. I remember we had a top of the show where we were talking about the valedictorians and salutatorians uh, and their overall sort of success in life. And I think that does sort of play a part as well in higher education. I know plenty of people that have masters and doctorates that live unfulfilled kind of miserable lives because they, they don't, they're not able to build connections with other people. They're not able to sort of be confident in them, their own selves. So I agree with you here, Vero. It's, it's again, I feel like we might be a little bit too harsh, but 
What it boils down to is there are so many other factors that you can't take for granted that it's important to sort of look at a person as a whole entity, which is what you really should be doing, as opposed to the different aspects that you sort of have these expectations for. So if you can connect with a person, if you can have empathy with a person, emotional vulnerability, if you can hold conversations with them, if you can have amazing sex with them, then that's all really well. And if they meet your other checkboxes, that's great. If they don't, but you're still happy being with them and spending time with them and being together, then that's even better. Look for somebody that makes you happy. Don't look for somebody that has a degree. Don't look for somebody that, 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 you know, sort of has the paperwork, as we were saying. You, you, you need happiness. You need a sense of completeness almost. You don't need a degree. You don't need essentially somebody that comes with, with all of these trophies and achievements. I think, unless you have anything else to add, Vero, um, we can move on to our next question. I'm not moving on. All right. Um, our next questioner uh, wrote in with the topic of problem pause. Uh, Hi. To get right into it, my partner and I are at an odd sort of sexual disagreement. We're very in tune with each other sexually, having some of the other some of the same kinks and a healthy respect towards one another for those we don't share, with one exception. I like feet, while he finds them repulsive. This would normally not be a problem. I'm content exploring this on my own. However, he's very keen on trying to indulge me personally, which isn't exactly working. I've agreed to letting him try some foot play on several occasions, but each time he seems so uncomfortable, I ask him to do something else. Recently, he's been asking to try again, but I've turned him down because I'd rather do something fun for him, but this seems to upset him as well, and he tells me he'd like to try despite the fact he's not okay with that sort of play. I don't quite know what to do here, and any advice would be helpful. I'm just going to kind of start off. Um, it sounds like your partner's okay with the idea of a play. It sounds like he's not into it, but it sounds like he's okay with it because he's trying to be, you know, good giving a game. He's trying to sort of meet that for you. Um, one thing to note is that not everybody is going to share the same sort of sexual fetishes or kinks within a relationship. There is going to be a lot of overlap, but there will probably always be one or two things that just never sync up. And that's fine. It's good to have individual kinks and fetishes, and it's good for partners to try to try to meet those. But if they don't, that's okay too. I mean, in, in this, it sounds like, you know, he's trying his best to sort of meet a, a sexual kink that you have, and it doesn't, it isn't working for you. And he seems uncomfortable that makes you uncomfortable. So it sounds like you two just need to have a conversation. You know, if he wants to try, then that's perfectly fine. But if it's not working, then you kind of have to stop trying. And you need to let him down and kind of be honest with him in a way that isn't blaming him for being, oh, well, you're just so uncomfortable it ruins the scene. You're so uncomfortable with this that it makes me nervous and I can't come from it and it ruins sex. You know, have a conversation. Well, say, note. I think yeah. nonviolent communication is, is definitely the solution here. I might even put a slightly different spin on it and not, not even approach this as being a problem. But first, I would take a nonviolent communication approach to figuring out why your partner is so motivated to indulge this kink with you. 
maybe that's like, and I don't really get a sense that you even know why they're doing this. And I think that's actually a very a much more basic question because before addressing the fact that it's not working, I think we need to address why is your partner so motivated to do this thing that they don't enjoy with you? Are they motivated by insecurity that you'll find this with someone else? Do they feel like they don't uh, measure up? Do they feel like they aren't enough for you? Do they feel like they aren't able to pleasure you in bed in any other way? What is it that is driving them to pursue this kink that they don't share? And, you know, if it's just some sense of obligation or duty, or I should be able to do this because I'm your partner, uh, you often say don't should yourself. Um, so I think it's really important to figure out what is, what is driving this desire to do this thing they don't like, because maybe what's really necessary is not so much you, you know, working through the fact that it's not working, but maybe it's just resolving it to the point that your partner is no longer trying to force this to happen when it's not really going to happen. If it's you know, being good, giving in game means you're willing to try things. It doesn't mean you're willing to keep doing them when you find out you don't like it. Right. So they've tried, they don't like it. So now we need to figure out, okay, why are you still motivated to keep doing this? What's, what's driving this? And if it's an insecurity, maybe what your partner actually needs is another form of reassurance, or maybe you need, need to arrive at another activity. Like, okay, foot play doesn't work for us, but maybe we have tried this other kink that is mutually interesting to both of us. And that's what we do together. And I do this with someone else. Right. So I think that's really the, the trick is, is don't try to force something and don't focus on the fact that it's not working, but instead try to figure out why, why are you motivated to do this to begin with and address that question? Because I think that's a much more fundamental question. Right. And there are other ways that he can be involved with this kink, with this fetish of yours. Uh, if he doesn't feel comfortable sort of being present for the physicality of it, maybe he finds a sexy foot paw picture and he sends it your way because he knows that you'll enjoy it. Maybe yeah, he, he finds this story and he reads it for you while you jerk yourself off. Things of that nature. There are ways that he can participate without having to sort of be uncomfortable with the physicality of it. Um, it it's, it's definitely agree with Vero here that it sounds like there's some underlying concern that he might have that if he doesn't meet every one of your kinks and fetishes that you're going to look for it elsewhere. So maybe some reassurances and some healthy discussion is required there. But overall, what you and your, your boyfriend should do is sort of focus on the whole of the relationship, the whole of your sexual relationship. Are both of you satisfied with what you have? Are both of you getting mutual enjoyment most of the time? Are you both getting off? Are you both satisfied? And if that's the case, then it's great. It's awesome. And so what if he doesn't meet everything? Have some reassurances for him. Address, if there are underlying issues, address them. And find alternate ways that he can participate. Again, you know, sexy stories being read in bed, sexy roleplay stories, mutual stories that you tell to one another. It's, it's even if you're jerking off, both of you independent from one another in the same bed. I mean, that's still pretty sexy, right? So... Find ways that you can incorporate this fetish of yours if it is super duper important to you that allows him to participate in a way that he feels that he's contributing. Uh, but definitely have a good, healthy, nonviolent communication, you know, fun time 
where you're able to address why he is so motivated in, in resolving this issue. Uh, because it sounds like him trying to resolve this issue is causing an even larger issue. <laughs> so, Indeed, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So have a conversation, but I mean, overall, the fact that he's trying to be good giving in-game, it, it's a good indication um, that, that he's wanting to be you know, dedicated and devoted to you, but it could be yeah, motivated the heart's, by... the heart's in the right place. The heart's definitely in the right place. And I think that's important to recognize. In fact, that would be the first thing I say is, it's really loving and really awesome of you that you really want to indulge this kink for me. But I'd like to talk about why it's so important to you. Maybe we can unpack that together because I'm not so sure that us indulging this kink together is actually in our mutual best interest. That might be the way I frame that conversation. All right, same here. And... You know, from there, resolve the issue. If there's no underlying issue, maybe both of you agree to sort of put a pause on that. Not not to, you know, make a pun <laughs> there, but um, oh dear. But maybe both of you agree to try to move on to something else and to revisit the issue a little bit later down the line. With that, I think it might be okay to move on to our final question, question number five. I will launch into reading that if that's okay. Please do. So... This is a situation where someone has got a boyfriend who they've been in a relationship with for, I think, six years, and they're now frustrated by the fact that it's taken too long for the relationship to open up. So the question begins, Hi there, I've got a situation for you. Maybe you'll be able to help me with it. I've been with my boyfriend for six years now, and we've been discussing and being in an open relationship for about four years, going back and forth since then. He seems very indecisive about this particular topic. As far as he's concerned, he tells me he'd probably not see other people, but the fact that I could sleep with others is one of his bigger fantasies, and he often tells me this when we're together. But even though he's pushed me to get in touch with other people many times, he then retracts his uh, feelings when things get too real, aka when I start to plan something. Every time, there's a new reason why he will not allow me to do it, and these always pop up. When they do so, I find myself a bit confused about what is really pushing him back from making the sleep. I may add that he is sometimes using the whole open relationship thing as a bargaining chip. When we are arguing, he tells me that if I do not agree with him, then we will stay in a closed relationship, no discussion allowed. Not only do I feel like he is playing with me to get some arousal from his fantasy, but as a matter of fact, I'm getting very frustrated. Moreover, the whole situation has cost me a few friends that were involved, and many potential partners, and I myself seem very indecisive to them. I try to reassure my boyfriend to listen to him, and we talk a lot, and I made some concessions that I regret now. That is, I let him read my discussion with my potential partners. I waited for him to be ready, but now he's telling me that he could need a few more years to accept the idea of an open relationship, or that it may never happen at all. Once, I even went berserk trying to be imperative about an open relationship after he backed off again a few hours before I was supposed to meet a guy that I'd been planning to see for weeks with his benediction. In the end, I have mixed feelings about the whole situation. I feel lost and guilty and frustrated. I'm wondering what I am doing wrong. Maybe you guys can help me sort things out. Thank you so much. Okay, so this is one of those rare situations. I don't really get to pull this card very often, but I, I, I really hate to be the bearer of bad news, but to borrow the phrase from Dan Savage, I'm afraid you are in a dump the motherfucker already situation. This yep. is a situation where I think you are being led on and emotionally abused in order to satisfy this person's uh, sexual kinks. You are being deb kind of debilitated. You are being manipulated. 
it is not a good situation. This is a very toxic, unhealthy situation. You have two options here. You can either leave him right now, which I would probably do if I were in your shoes, because this is a horrid situation that you've been put in. Or the other option is we kind of d don't dust these off very often is you can issue an ultimatum. And I really don't like using these because as I always often say, always often, it doesn't make sense. As I often say, um, when, but by the point you've gotten to issuing an ultimatum, the relationship is probably too far gone. And that I think might be the case here, but the ultimatum you can issue is, okay, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting to do this. And you've been saying you'll allow it and then retracting it every time. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to fuck someone else and you can choose to stay with me or you can leave me. There you go. Go out and fuck someone. Tell don't don't tell your part don't don't do it behind your partner's back. Be totally upfront about it and say, okay, this is the date. I have a date with this person. We're gonna go out and fuck. You can choose to be here when I get back or not. Right? I mean, that's kind of a, a very blunt way of putting it. You don't have to be quite that mean about it. But essentially that's what you're getting that's the point you need to be getting across is this is happening. What I need to be happy in a relationship is an open relationship. If that you, you are never going to be content with that, if you are not content with that right now, you can either pull the Band-Aid off and get used to the fact that we are, I'm going to be fucking other people, or we can end this relationship. But what I'm not going to do is allow you to keep manipulating me with the idea of this tantalizing carrot you're holding out for me to keep me running and running and running, constantly chasing this carrot that you're dangling in front of my face that I'm never allowed to catch. That is not fair. That is not a healthy relationship. And the fact that he's using it as a bargaining chip in arguments is really not okay. So yeah. that needs to stop. And this needs to get to the point where you are actually being fulfilled in this relationship or this relationship needs to be over. That's there's, my opinion. Yeah. There's a saying um, that that I, I love and it's, uh, you need to shit or get off the pot. And your boyfriend. I my grandmother loved that expression too, and it's a fantastic one. Yes, sugar pot is a wonderful expression. He either needs to do it, or he needs to stop. He needs to go. Like you've been having a conversation for four years, and during the period of these four years, he's been using the carrot as a stick. Oh, an open relationship. Oh, an open relationship. And then a few hours before you're going on a date with somebody, he beats you with it. Oh, well, if you don't agree with me, then you can't be in an open relationship. Oh, if you don't, you know, this is incredibly abusive. This is entirely abusive. This is a case study of abuse. This is not a healthy relationship as it stands. So you need to do some evaluation on your own side. What is it that you want in a relationship? What is it that you need in a relationship? And what are your emotional boundaries? First, I want now to, one thing I want to point out is I want to point out one thing here though. And that's that okay. this idea of the ultimatum is something that I, I, again, I reserve for very special cases. And I think this is, there's a track record here of this person doing this over a long period of time. I would not advocate another person who's not the questioner listening to this. I don't, what I don't want to have happen is someone to say, Oh, Vero told me that, if I want an open relationship, I can just demand it from my partner. And if they don't cave in, I can, I can, I can leave them. Right. That's not okay. It is perfectly reasonable to have a warm up period and to have, you know, some, some false starts here and there. And that's okay. But this is not a, this is a pattern. This is not a few false starts. This is a, a long track record of four years of manipulation. Right. I think there's, there's, you need to keep resolve those two things from each other and realize this is a deep, seated issue and not, you know, oh, they're taking us a, a long time to warm up. 
Uh, a few months, uh, maybe a year, is a long time to warm up. Four years going on six years is not. That's that's ridiculous. <laughs> One thing you know that I want to kind of say is the feeling of guilt that you have, questioner, um, feeling guilty, that is, and, and feeling lost. These are very common emotions that people who are in emotionally abusive relationships feel. Um, where even though you are the victim, you feel as if you're the cause of it. And these are tools that people who are emotionally abusive tend to use and take advantage of. The ideas of guilt, of feeling lost, of gaslighting, of, of all of these things. That being said, Metrico, I also wonder if that feeling of feeling lost and guilty is also coming from internalized shame or feeling like desiring other partners is wrong or bad or slutty or any number of other uh, negative things. And if your partner is kind of abetting you and thinking those things are bad, that could also be abusive. But it might not entirely just be from the abuse. It might also be that you have some internalized shame that you ought to unpack about why you're feeling bad about wanting to pursue other people sexually. Because there's certainly nothing wrong with wanting to pursue multiple sexual partners. It's just really important that you're with partners who also want that. And it doesn't sound like yeah. you are right now. Nope. Um, <laughs> so one thing... So I would, I would like to kind of say this. What's happening is not cool. Regardless of what it is, I don't care if it's an open relationship. I don't care if it's a vacation. I don't care what the fuck it is. It should never be used as a bargaining chip within a relationship, especially something that's been discussed over a period of four years. Regardless of what it is, Relationships and discussions and even arguments should be able to stand on their own. And if your boyfriend is saying, you can't have this if you don't agree with me, that's not right. It doesn't matter if it's a four-year-long relationship. It doesn't matter if it's a new relationship. Disagreements should not rely upon compulsory agreeance. I agree that there are cases where you might have differences of opinion. You might say, well, I'm religious, my partner isn't religious, and he says that if I don't go to church with him, that we can't be in a relationship together. Well, good news, you're probably, you, you can either go to church or you can not be in a relationship with them. There is a difference between an emotional boundary and emotional abusiveness. The case of I want to be with somebody that is, you know, goes to church and is religious. Um, it's incredibly poor taste on their part to date somebody that isn't and then try to kind of compel them to become religious. It doesn't really work that way, and that's not really a healthy way to go about doing it. In this case, where it's been a four-year-long conversation, he needs to shit or he needs to get off the fucking pot. I am 100% in the column of... You need to tell him that this is happening or the relationship is kind of over because you can't sacrifice friendships, potential connections, things of that nature at the altar of this relationship when it seems like he is trying to make you into the bad guy where he's compelling you. This is a fantasy of mine. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And just when you're about to take the plunge, no, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. It shouldn't work like that. It's not healthy to be, be like that. And frankly, you are being used because he's clearly getting sexual gratification from the lead up. 
And in fact, he's not only just using you, he's also using his metamors, right? He's using the people that you're interested in. That's not okay. <laughs> it's not okay to manipulate people into thinking that they're about to get something with your partner and then pull the plug at the last second. That's non-consensual, right? They're being involved in a basically a role play that they do not know is a role play. That's what's happening here. Your partner's doing a role play where they're getting off to this idea of being cuckolded or something like that. And these partners are involved in it non-consensually because they think they're going to be having actual sex. And they're not. <laughs> that's not okay. That is essentially a form of rape of your the metamor in that situation. I know that's a very strong word to use, but it's also the correct word to use. That is a non-consensual sexual encounter. And I don't think that's okay at all. So you need, if not just to protect yourself, you need to stop this to protect the people that you're connecting with. Because as you point out, it's not fair to them that you're breaking off these connections willy-nilly. You're hurting people. And I know you don't want to be doing that, but your partner is forcing you to hurt people. And that can't leave you feeling very good. No wonder you feel guilty and ashamed. That's horrible. So this needs to end. In the course of the email that, that you sent in, uh, questioner, you say that you've been making multiple concessions um, from letting him read conversations that you're having with uh, potential partners, things of that nature. That's not from, necessarily a bad thing, by the way. And that can be reassuring in certain circumstances. But yes, it sounds like that's not working that way here. No, it's not. So from what I'm reading into this... It sounds like there have been a lot of sacrifices on your part. It sounds as if you have made every good faith effort from reassuring your partner, from letting him read the conversations, to making sure he's okay with it, to keeping an open line of communication, to every time leading up to this, he has had cold feet and not wanted to take the plunge. You have restrained yourself. You have damaged your connections with other people. It sounds as if you have made every good faith attempt. You need to have a conversation with them. If this is something that is important to you, that is very important to you to have an open relationship, you need to be with somebody that it is as equally important and they are as equally willing to make that try as you are. Sounds like he's using you. Quite frankly, when I was reading this the first time, it sounds as if he's using you to get that sort of limerence feel that, oh, wow, look at him. He's, you know, getting a new relationship. Look at all that new relationship energy. He's so excited. It sounds like he's being almost this emotional vampire, leeching all of that positivity and then just ripping it away from you. This, this, one further really... note that I would. Okay. Sorry, one further note that I would make there, Metrico, just, uh, just I think you're quite often calling the psychic vampire in that situation. But I also question whether it's actually healthy for your partner because I feel like they are probably going through a cycle of guilt as well because if they have any conscience at all, they have to be aware of the fact that they are damaging your friendships and damaging the feelings of your friends. And I can't imagine that that guilt is playing into your relationship in a healthy way either. It sounds like, it, in fact, it's only feeding the abuse. So I feel like all, all, all the way around, this is not, I mean, even if your partner, this is not really a healthy situation. And if you love your partner, I think you kind of have a duty to stop this for their sake as well. Right. Absolutely. You need to have an incredibly difficult conversation with your partner. And you need to hold your ground on this one. You need to be very firm with your emotional boundaries, and you need to lay it out entirely. This is what is happening. 
This is what I am being forced to do to other people. This is what my sacrifices for this relationship have created. And it is either time for us to find new partners after six years of being together, or it is time for us to make some difficult decisions. Am I, is this going to be an open relationship or not? You need to let me know now. This can't be a carrot that you dangle in front of me for another four to six years. We need to make a decision now. We've, 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 we've had enough discussion. If we can't commit to this, then it's either going to be a closed relationship or no relationship. If he can't make a commitment to whether or not he is going to be willing to allow you to pursue other partners and you want to stay in a relationship with them, then you need to close the relationship off entirely. If you don't want to be with him, then you need to find a new partner. My advice, quite frankly, you should probably cut your losses and dump the motherfucker already. He, he's and, had four years. To that point, to that point, Metrico, another concern that I have, and this is, again, uh, I don't feel like I'm almost breaking all my own rules and being very paranoid tonight about, about things, but uh, and not assuming good faith. But I think in this case, we have reason not to assume good faith. I would also worry that this, your partner may in fact be cheating on you because there's a very good chance that all these concerns your partner is voicing about you having sex with other people is them projecting onto you. They're projecting their own guilt for the fact that they were having other ex- extra relationship type sexual encounters and the fact that they are having them and that they feel guilty about them is then something that they project onto you. They want to prevent you from doing that because they don't want done to them what they're already doing to you. That is a very likely situation in this scenario. Someone who claims to be okay with open relationships but then shuts it down at the last minute constantly like that is oftentimes someone who is coping with a lot of their own guilt. And I I would be concerned about where that guilt's coming from here. No, I, I entirely agree. It sounds like there are a lot of problems that, that your your boyfriend has. And I don't necessarily know if they're resolvable. You have to make some decisions about what's important to you in a relationship. Um, you need to know where you stand on these issues. If you want an open relationship and it's something that's really important to you, then you need to put yourself in a position to where you're able to have one. And if your boyfriend keeps dangling that carrot and then beating you in the face with it time after time after time again, once is hesitance, twice is an occurrence, three times is a pattern, four times is a lifestyle. And it sounds like this is a lifestyle of abuse that he has. It's damaging. And it's clear that it's damaging because you have a lot of just negativity towards yourself as a result. So make make the decisions, have the conversations, make very clear and hold very firm your integrity and your emotional boundaries. It's not, there's no kind of language issue here because you mentioned that English is not your first language. That you, It's very clear what's happening. Your, your boyfriend is being an abusive asshole and you either need to find a way to resolve that within the relationship or end the relationship, cut your losses, and find yourself a partner that suits your needs and your emotional boundaries in a much healthier fashion. I think we're going to go ahead and end the questions there. Um, Again, as I mentioned at the top of the show, these were varied questions um, from all different walks of life, all different sorts of relationship issues. And these are things that all of us 
can kind of encounter. Um, whether or not in our current relationship, maybe it was in a past relationship, maybe it's in a relationship yet to come. And if you have thoughts, if you have experiences, if you have disagreements with the advice that we gave, let us know. Hit us up on our contact page and offer feedback or your own stories and how you resolve them, and we'll be more than happy to share them on future episodes. Uh, we do have some feedback from our uh, previous episode on pickup artists. Um, from an individual who was in a relationship over a long period of time with a pickup artist. Um, they wrote, Hi, Metrico and Vero. I am writing to you to offer you my thanks, uh, more on that at the end, and to provide a bit of additional insight into the pickup artist community. I am a 31-year-old straight female wolf, and in my 20s, I had a long-term relationship with a non-furry pickup artist for about four years. The pickup artist community was such a big part of his life that he wasn't able to hide it for the whole relationship. I became immersed in it too via online forums. I am embarrassed to admit that even after discovering what was going on, I was still very susceptible to his tactics. If you delve deeply enough into the pickup artist community, they will convince you that they have the answers to everything, including long-term relationships. They actually view themselves as benevolent saviors, possessing the keys to success with all sorts of relationships. They believe that they can make men and women happier than they ever could be in normal society because of their superior knowledge. Uh, spoilers, they're wrong. You are correct, Metrico, that their techniques do not allow a man to be vulnerable. That is perhaps their biggest problem, because emotional connections with others can only be very shallow. Here are some more problems with their methods, one that I have personally experienced. Pickup artists claim women don't know what they want. Whenever I would clearly express, express my desires to my ex, he would ignore me and assume he knew better than I did. They claim women don't enjoy polyamory, so they have to trick women into it. There's also a stigma against monogamy within the pickup artist community. So this results in tons of peer pressure to conduct unethically non-monogamous relationships. They also claim that to craft the relationship you want, you can just manipulate almost any woman into giving it to you, rather than just seeking out another woman whose relationship goals match your own. The amount of deception that the community advocates towards women is staggering. You will, however, find some honest and morally upstanding poly men amongst their ranks. They are trying to change that community, and I appreciate their efforts. At the end of the day, though, the main point of this community is to brag online in explicit detail about their sexual conquest. It's, it's addicting to these men, and they can leave them unable to experience validation in other aspects of their lives. This leaves them incredibly stunted. To speak from the female side of things, I was trapped in an emotionally abusive situation, complete with a plethora of new insecurities. He admitted to fostering these insecurities on purpose because it kept me doing what he wanted. I got out of the relationship a few years ago, but it put a zap on my head. To this day, I have a lot of work to do, building myself back up and working on my own relationship skills. That's where you guys come in. I've never found a resource as helpful as Feral Attraction. Your episodes on integrity and nonviolent communication, in particular, have helped me more than anything else in my life. It sounds exaggerated, perhaps, but I mean it quite sincerely. I had a shitty Catholic upbringing. I had no one in my life whose morals or romantic skills I respected enough to ask advice from. But you guys, every week, are helping me become a better person. So thank you a million times from the bottom of my wolfy heart. I wanted to thank you um, for, for sending that to us because 
it, yeah, it's awesome with, that you shared that with us. That was great. Like, I know that for a lot of people that have been through relationships with pickup artists, that it can really just be a massive. It, it sets up a massive deficit that they have to recover from, and I'm 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 glad that you're working on that actively because I've seen people who just bounce from relationship to relationship with pickup artists because that's kind of the world that's been crafted for them and and they don't have the initiative necessarily or really the the understanding of how to improve and because they feel so trapped they'd rather stay with you know the the devils that they know and understand as opposed to the the honestly terrifying prospect of rebuilding yourself from the ground up and i'm glad that that we've been able to serve as a resource for you and you know, it's it's. I I really want to thank you for sending that in because it's 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 good to know that some of the episodes that we had earlier on, like like the nonviolent communication episode, the integrity episode, the emotional boundaries episodes, uh, it's it's. I'm glad that they're evergreen and that even a year, two years down the line, people are still able to refer to them and and be able to use them in order to better their lives, which is really you know, what, what we intended the show to be. And so thank you. Thank you for allowing us to help you. And as always, if you have any specific questions, you know, let us know it's, this is a community resource and we're here for you as a community, both, you know, myself and Vero, as well as everybody else within this crazy fandom that we call a family. So, I mean, just sincerely, thank you for sending that in. We're going to, uh, go ahead and close out the show for this week. Um, thank you again, everybody for bearing with us. Um, I guess a little bit behind the scenes um, notes. This was an episode recording full of, uh, full of issues. <laughs> Indeed. We made it work. Uh, we made it work. Um, so thank you very much for, for bearing with us on our off week. Um, next week we have um, an interesting topic, the topic of regret sex. Um, what do you do when you have sex with somebody and you regret having sex with them? How do you handle yourself? How do you communicate with up with other people? And and what are the ethics of reporting regret sex to the authorities? Um, a lot of people, when regret sex occurs, there's a tendency to equate it as being, you know, a non-consensual sort of experience. And so we're going to try to unpack the the topic of regret sex in a way that promotes sexual, you know, positivity and sexual agency because mistakes happen and I've certainly had sex with people that I regret, but we want to make sure that we're able to sort of handle ourselves with the appropriate amount of agency to where we don't conflate mistakes and regrets with sexual abuse and assault. So that's going to be next week's topic. If you have questions about that, or again, if you have feedback, comments, concerns, complaints, hit us up on our contact page, fairlattraction.com slash contact. Anonymous ways, contact forms, emails, so many ways to get into touch with us. You can call us and leave a message. We'll play it on the show. Chances are, if you do call us, um, asking for us to call back, if you have a specific question you want to discuss with us, um, we probably won't do that. Just leave a message with your question um, and we'll play it and address it on the show. Um, that's generally the way that um, that has to work. Um, 
That's because we're in relationship advice podcasters and not therapists. And that's kind of the difference, right? <laughs> right. Pretty much. There are ways that you can get involved with the show beyond that. Um, you can leave a rating and a review for us on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can follow and retweet things that we have on Twitter. Or if you're in a charitable mood, um, you can become a patron of ours on Patreon. Uh, we have different tiers that help us um, to continue to produce the show. Um, your donations, uh, for example, are going towards us having to pay for international roaming fees today <laughs> so, we can, so we can have a phone conversation to record this show. Um, so thank you very much for that. Uh, it goes towards us being able to gather materials, attend more conventions, all sorts of things. So... One of our tiers on Patreon is that we give shoutouts at the end of every episode to that tier. And one such patron is Miss Hyde. So Miss Hyde, a month ago, participated in a streak for tigers around the London Zoo. And uh, she wanted to raise 500 pounds. Um, she is about 200 pounds short of her fundraising goal. Uh, this was a, an event that was to raise funds for the protection of tigers in the wild, where she ran around the zoo naked, painted up as a tiger with a tiger head that she made herself. Let's try to put her over her goal. Let's try to get her to her goal. It's The fandom is very charitable, and I feel that we can contribute the funds that she wanted to raise. It's for a great cause, and we should definitely contribute as much as we can. It's You can go to her Twitter at Sparks, or you can go to her fundraising page, and that page is within our show notes. Please, please, please give it a visit. Give it a donation if you can. It's for a really good cause. Um, plus, you can see pictures of her running around the London Zoo naked, which is also equally as awesome. Um, I wish that we could do that on the regular, because that just sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> um, another patron of ours is Snares. Uh, Snares is an artist who does Patreon comic projects. Uh, you can visit his Patreon, patreon.com slash snares. It's a one-stop site for commissions, artist information, and more, only for a dollar a month. Zarpolis is another patron. If you're looking for an author, well, you might consider Zarpolis. He writes furry and high-tech sci-fi stories, anthropomorphic, you know, uh, speculative fiction. Uh, and he has published a short novel with a Thurston Hall Press that's titled The Pride of the Parahumans, and you can check that out on Amazon. Or you can consider becoming a patron of his own at his Patreon, patreon.com slash czarpolis. We also have Myron, uh, who... If you're looking for a walk on the fluffier side of life, and you're looking for a new friend on Twitter who talks about daily red panda dog ramblings, pictures, commissions, all of that good stuff, well, you have a friend in Myron. Uh, feel free to follow. Their Twitter handle is at MyronTheFluffing. We're going to go ahead and end the show there this week. Thank you again for your patience. Thank you again for listening. Thank you again for your questions. Next week, our topic is regret sex. Until then, I'm Metrico. And I'm through the science colleague. Be well. Thank you.
Oh.